Hello and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra with me, the old flutey tooty geezer, Jean-Paul Wright. This week I'm on the road and I have journeyed from my home in Tunbridge Wells, which is in the Garden of England. Well, it's not really the Garden of England, but they call it the Garden of England in Kent, over to Sussex. Now, the person I'm with, I'll introduce in a minute, but we're in West Sussex or East Sussex? I think it's technically West Sussex, but I it sort of feels like East Sussex. It does feel like East Sussex. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful around here. In fact, getting from Tunbridge Wells to Haywards Heath, you have to pass where Winnie the Pooh was written. You know, the Pooh oh, Sticks yeah. Bridge, 100 Acre Wood and anything. Anyway, I'm, I'm waffling on as usual. I'm here today to speak with a wonderful, wonderful guy and flute player, Philip Barnes. Hello, Philip. Hi, JP. Now... We're here to talk about lots of things, but most importantly, your your last year, or this year, and the impact you had at the NFA and also the BFS event, because you <coughs> don't play the silver flute like most of us play the silver flute, do you? <laughs> no, no, I uh, took a, a strange route away from uh, what I was supposed to be doing, um, and mostly now I play Irish music. Now, before we go further, is it Irish or Celtic? And just so I can clear that one up for our viewers, because I know it annoys some people, doesn't it? Uh, it does annoy some people. We, I think we had a whole lecture on it at university. And, you know, I mean, it's like anything. There's, there's loads and loads of subgenres that people just aren't aware of until you're in it. And suddenly there's loads of huge festivals and loads of artists and things to discover. So when, where, and even why... Did this flute make flute playing malarkey start with you? Being a Sussex boy and all that. Yeah, I started playing flute when I was eleven, mm-hmm. and when I went to secondary school. Um, That's quite late, isn't it? Yeah, I think my parents had tried me on other stuff first. So my brother had Suzuki violin lessons. Um, he's like two and a half years older, also called John Paul. Um, he he used to go to those. I think my mum used to take me to sit and listen. And although there's pictures of me with a violin, I don't think I ever learnt it. My mum said I used to take it out of the case, put a stool in the middle of the room, put it up to play, put it down again, bow, and then put it away again. Uh, so I didn't really do too much violin playing. I started piano for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to the end of the first book and the teacher asked me to play the piece again the next week. And I was painfully shy as a kid. And I was terrified of the piano teacher, and I just refused to go back. A years later, I met her, and she's just the nicest, nicest lady. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know what the problem was. Um, and I learned guitar for a bit, um, you know, just learned a few chords to put back songs, the usual kind of stuff. Um, I think my brother was always more studious with with all of that. When I got to secondary school, my mum was a massive fan of James Coleway, and uh, she loved Annie's song. Mm-hmm. And for the year before I went to secondary school, she started priming me, saying, when you go to secondary school, you're going to learn the flute. And I think I just sort of filtered through, and when I got there, I just started doing it, didn't really think much of it. But I just took to it straight away. Um, I learned with Liz Goodwin, sure. flute runs flute-wise, mm-hmm. did a term on the fife um, before I got my flute, which was actually great, because... Although it took me a few lessons to actually get a sound out, mm-hmm. and I was a little bit um, 
a little bit worried about that. Like some of the other kids could already read a bit of music and, and they were getting the sound straight away. And I was like, oh no, this is really hard. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. But then having done that term, when I got my flute at Christmas and we, like, I, you know, I got the flute for Christmas as, as a present, but I wasn't allowed to play it until the first lesson back. And although I'm the sort of person that would take the bottom off the advent calendar and eat all the chocolates, I somehow managed to not, you know, have a go on the flute before, before the first lesson. And it was just so great having that, that first kind of sound on that real flute after the fife. It means you kind of get a real boost and really want to carry on. So you really, it was... You sort of opened your eyes, just that first note on that first lesson back to... the. And obviously you had the indirect suggestion from your mum over the years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, I th- she probably saw the way I reacted to the to that kind of music. It was obviously, loved the flute. And it's just, it just felt kind of right. So you've, you've started obviously along the classical route, played yep. all the classical bits. And then what made you deviate? I want to say deviate <laughs> off because we'll cover your book in a, in a moment because... Yep. The simplicity mm-hmm. of what's written really hides the complexity yeah. within. So what made you deviate from the classical uh, repertoire onto this uh, new path? I think it was partly growing up in Brighton on the south coast because mm-hmm. it's a really um, rich place musically. But there's loads of great live music going on. Um, at the times, you know, loads of live original music like jazz and flamenco. And, uh, there's also a fantastic music service there. Like there's the Brighton Hope Music Service and East Sussex Music yep. Service. So I was basically playing in every possible ensemble I could to the point where my parents would drive me almost every day to something uh, Brighton Hope Youth Concert Band, East Sussex Wind Orchestra, South Downs um, Youth Orchestra. Um, Saturday mornings I'd do flute choir wind ensemble yep. uh, at one point I was playing bass for the big band very badly and just trying, trying to do as much as I could and a friend of mine took me to a summer school in Newcastle called Folkwork Summer School it was all kind of traditional music mm-hmm. and that kind of corrupted me to a certain extent also Liz had a bit of time off and we had a guy come in who was a jazz flute player and he instead of teaching everyone the curriculum he was just teaching everyone jazz oh stunning <laughs> which was you know it was brilliant for me and, and uh, you know all those different things started to to influence what I was doing was your thinking already deviating beyond the classical to the jazz to folk I think so I did my grade 8 when I was 15 that's a quick progression um, isn't it I did the guild hall sure. one so that I didn't have to do the theory the, you know the oral <laughs> yeah um, I cheated on my grade 5 theory that's because I uh <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you. But in, in in the last century, when I did mine, um, we everybody sat around a table. It was yeah. it was an external centre, and there was this little sort of Chinese girl, Chinese-looking girl next to me. She was about five, yeah. and I was sat next to her. I had the foggiest what I was right, and I was just sort of looking over, copying. So that's how I passed mine. <laughs> so anyway, you did the girl one, yeah? Yeah, I just wanted to avoid. You know, like I said, I was I was pretty shy. I wanted to avoid having to sing. Mm-hmm. in the thing and um, I'd already kind of quite liked improvising a bit and that kind of felt like a more comfortable 
comfortable thing to do. So 15 to get your grade eight, that's, that's from starting at 11, that's a very quick progression. Yeah. And then, so you would have known quite early on then that you were wanting to take the flutes further. Yeah, I think to, to my parents' dismay, I didn't want to get a real job and um, I just wanted to play music. <laughs> this is payback, do you realise that? <laughs> it's the Annie song payback. Yeah. I did audition for music college. Uh, but I also went for uh, to see if I could do maths at Oxford. Mm-hmm. I got a conditional place to do maths at Oxford and a reserve offer to do flute at the Royal Northern. Nice. And I decided to just to just give the maths thing a go. Mm-hmm. But uh, the slight curveball was when I was doing my A levels, one of my lungs collapsed. So my attendance over those two years was about 50%. Sure. Um, and although I ended up with enough points to go, it was like my further maths grade was a B instead of an A. So okay. um, in the end, I did a term at Sussex Uni sure. doing maths. Mm-hmm. And in the mornings, I used to go and practice flute for a few hours. Then I'd go to the lecture and then I'd go and do, be doing gigs in the evenings and weekends. No, it's pretty um, obvious then you were going to deviate off, wasn't it? Yeah, and when the timetable came in for the next term, and it had me like starting at nine o'clock <laughs> every morning, I was like, <laughs> I think it's probably time to go. I, I think it was also that while I was sitting in my maths lecture, writing album notes for my first CD I wanted to make, and um, I thought, yeah, it's probably, it's probably... Uh... <laughs> and then you disappeared over to Ireland then? So you didn't just think, okay, I'm not going to go and study... Well, there was a little bit of a gap. I played full-time for a few years, did a lot of stuff with Richard Durrant, who's a fantastic guitarist mm. from Shoreham. Yeah. Um, I released an album on his Longman Records label. It was really well-received. And then at some point, I decided to... They started a Irish music degree in Limerick University in the west coast of Ireland. And the guy who was teaching on it, Niall Keegan, had been my teacher at one of those summer schools in Newcastle and I just thought that's that's what I want to do this is you know a great a great thing to go and spend some time doing so I went and did a master's in Irish music performance this is strange a guy with an English accent yeah. going over to Limerick of all places yeah to do a master's in Irish music I guess growing up in Brighton and because my family isn't just English no you're Heinz 57 aren't you yeah my Mum is half French, half German. Her dad's from Brittany and her her mum's from uh, Cologne in Germany. And the other side is like Scottish. My granny's from Aberdeen. The other side's like there's like English and Irish and all kinds of, of stuff in there. So I never really felt English per se. Yeah. You, sorry, you've never felt English because of the influences of all, all these other cultures yeah. within you. Yeah, I thought uh, it's... You just speak English and with an English accent, but so your heart is split everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, all my family live in France now. Mm-hmm. I've always just loved Irish music, and I've always thought that the flute is perfect for Irish music. You know, I always loved playing the classical stuff. I always loved, you know, I'd spent hours and hours just doing tone exercises mm-hmm. and just thinking about other things, and, and uh, quite happily kind of... I would probably quite happily have just, have just done that, but... The flute's great in jazz, the flute's great in flamenco, and once you've kind of heard all those things, 
And it's like, well, come on, I want to give that a go. <laughs> so what is it with the Irish flute music that you think can unlock the true spirit of the instrument? Because it can. There is a feel, mm-hmm. and there is a, um, there's a soul to it yeah. um, that you can hear straight away. It's recognisable. Yeah. I think it's a music that's meant to be played for dancing, and it's meant to be played with other people. It's a real unison tradition, so mm-hmm. lots of people playing the melody together and you know, listening to each other, and it's, a, it's very much like a community experience. It's not, it's not like a, a show so yeah. much, you know, and I think partly it's, it's, it's that, that it's music that people come together to play, and people do that all over the world, that you can go to New York and go to an Irish bar and see, you know, ten people just come together and play tunes from like, the common repertoire, and you'll know maybe half the tunes, people will bring in new tunes and you pick bits of them up. And Well, that's one thing that really comes to my attention, is that no one's trying to show off. Everybody is yeah. there. In a group. Oh, I mean, there's always people trying to show off, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Is that depending people, on how much you've had to drink? People, people are still people. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really. Um, like in London at the moment, there's loads of great Irish sessions going on. Um, I was at a um, session in the White Hart in New Cross, and, um, you know, there's pipes and fiddle yeah. and flute and bazooki and guitar and stuff. And it's, it's so just you're hearing really, new stuff all the time? Yeah, and it, and how you how do you computate that? In other words, you hear something, and obviously within quite a short amount of time you're playing along. Yeah. And then what happens when you do you try and keep that pattern in your head so you can write it down? Um, well, you can record stuff and then you know go home later and just okay. and just write it out, uh, work it you know work it out. Um, a lot of is the Irish music is like based on little cells of information so um, a tune of like 32 bars mm-hmm. is going to be an A part and a B part that A part is might be 8 bars repeated and the B part is 8 bars repeated sure. and in those 8 bars there's going to be common little bits of information it's not they're not it's not all unrelated stuff that you have okay. to remember it's not like a 32 bar melody <laughs> that's changing all the time yeah um, it's like like in um like in a piece of Mozart, you get a phrase and then the phrase again and then the phrase slightly differently. You know, it's like um, it's built out of a few different pieces that repeat. Sure. So you'll, it'll be like a call and an answer and then you get the same call again, slightly different answer to end it. So is there a narrative with each little piece you're playing? Um, mostly, they're mostly dance tunes, you know, like yeah. jigs and reels and polkas. And once you know a few it's easier to pick up others sure people are loads of people are writing new tunes all the time and all those old tunes which are hundreds of years old they were written by someone at some point and it's like every time someone introduces a new tune it might get accepted into the repertoire it might not and like one of the one of the best things uh, for me was I heard that one of my tunes was being played in a session in Glasgow and I was at a festival and, and someone um, played it to me and it was just like, that's that's such a kind of compliment and such sure. a um, nice thing. It, is it Chinese Whispers? Did it actually come out as you wrote it and I played it? came it? out better than I played it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so I will say here, Philippe doesn't just play the, the normal flute as we know. He plays, I mean, I, there is a, I, I'm going to post later today on Instagram, but... 
on his bed was just truckloads of tubes. Yeah. From whistles to pipes to flutes of all sizes and description. So we're not just talking of uh, normal classical concert flutes here, are we? No, I've got um, I've amassed a collection of of toys. There's the silver flute, the alto. I've got some wooden flutes, some bamboo flutes, loads of whistles in every key. I didn't get out the. I have some Galithian bagpipes, some Scottish bagpipes. I do play the Irish bagpipes, but I don't have any at the moment. The Ilian pipes. I did them as my second instrument at uni, so I I play them, although not particularly well. Actually, a bit of it fell off during my final performance. <laughs> Just pretty embarrassing. <laughs> still passed. <laughs> so I take it you can circular breathing on the flute. No. <laughs> Just on the pipes. <laughs> right. Let's move on. So the main reason I'm, I'm here is at the NFA this year in Orlando. Was it? Yeah. Know, it's been such. <laughs> so it hasn't been long ago, but uh, August, right? Yeah, August. A couple of months. Yes. You kindly brought me this beautiful book called Irish Music on the Silver Flute, which. It was the first thing, I mean, I knew that you played Irish music on the silver flute, but it's really unusual to actually say Irish music on the silver flute, yeah. because we think of Irish music on traditional flutes. Mm-hmm. It's a complete joy to me to read it, and mm-hmm. to, as I said to you earlier when, we, when I first came in, I'm finding it really interesting, because great. it's great to read it, uh-huh. it looks easy, <laughs> but the complexities are... Well, it's pretty self-evident where the complexities are because you have to use different fingerings and yeah. also you have to feel it. Mm-hmm. It's like someone saying jazz is dum de dum de dum de dum A bit like the archers type of music. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not really like that for me. And you've notated the original pieces as well as traditional pieces. Yeah. And you introduce me and everybody else who buys it some wonderful, achievable sounds, new sounds, and fingers and explanations, which will stump most of us flutes <laughs> until you take it slowly, which is, you say, that you have to anyway. Yeah. Was it hard to narrow down the selection of pieces for inclusion in this book? It was and it wasn't. I mean, what I tried to do was do it a chapter at a time, introduce one technique at a time. Yep. So then I tried to think of a tune that would um, be easy to use that in. Partly I put in a lot of my own tunes because I wanted people to play them, but also because I wrote them on silver flute so they sit really well under the fingers. You know, yeah, they're, they're, absolutely. That's what they're meant for. Um, uh, a lot of people have said to me they'd like some videos of the stuff and some, some uh, audio recordings, which I will get around to doing. But um, I tried to keep it really concise because I get so many books that are like massive, thick, impenetrable tomes, mm-hmm. you know, and you just think, I don't know, I don't know where to start with this, and it's just pages and pages of, of uh, just notes and notes and notes. Your first piece, for example, May Morning Dew. Oh yeah, very achievable, very playable, mm-hmm. and you get the feeling straight away, hey, I can do this, because you introduce something called feathering. Yeah, you explain it really well, okay. but obviously. I have the book in front of me, <laughs> and our listeners don't. So, can you explain a bit about the process of feathering and how this finger effect changes the tone of the note rather than the pitch to yeah. add character? Well, as classical flute players, we learn to play with a beautiful vibrato. Mm-hmm. But as Irish flute players, we don't really want that. 
and there are times where you might use a bit but um, for my taste probably I'd say I'd probably just get rid of that vibrato just get a nice clean flat sound yeah. and all of the work comes from the fingers so um, if you think of some, someone playing the Irish pipes you can't blow into them so you can't use um, vibrato you can't use tangy you've just got a continuous sound and you have to articulate it with the hands so if you're playing a long note on the pipes and you want to make that note interesting then you use the finger vibrato yes. or like a timbrel trill sometimes called or feathering I think feathering is a nice word because it kind of explains what it is yeah it does to me um, I mean, maybe I'll show you on the, the wooden flute sure. first <laughs> Yeah, so what Philip is doing is he's got obviously got the holes on the uh, wooden traditional flute and the finger is sort of vibrate. would you call it sort of feathering, vibrating over the top? Yeah, it's, um, I do it with a flat, I'll show you on the, on the silver flute as well, it's a, um, with a flat finger. Yeah. And uh, if I'm playing an F sharp and I'm trilling my middle finger of my right hand, yes. that doesn't change the pitch. There's a tiny bit. But if I trill that, and I don't quite push the key down all the way, I'm just affecting that key a little bit, just moving it a little bit, and it just colours that You're not getting the quarter sound. tone, are you? You're... No. Got it. So it's really used to say to articulate to give it that sort of um, yeah, almost end of note to move on to the next bit and then yeah to give it that texture that you'd normally you'd normally use vibrato to just make that f sharp interesting like so it's a very different it's quite haunting really kind of sound yeah. character and I must have say it's lovely to hear a flute played without vibrato which is really <laughs> hard nowadays everybody uses it don't they in yeah I think um, such extreme forms it's just like it, any kind of contrast is nice isn't it it's nice to yeah. hear something something different I just love that real kind of no vibrato just a solid kind of strong tone and part of the the thing of making that silver flute sound like a wooden flute is that using that real dark purple colour you know because the wooden flute a kind of rich low yeah. D of the wood you can get by having a wooden berm system flute or putting a wooden head joint on your silver flute or or just you know bite down into that um, silver flute and your chops are very relaxed and your throat is very open yeah Archetypal grumpy flute player chops. <laughs> <laughs> very grumpy, very down, very relaxed. Yeah. It seems to me that Irish music mm -hmm. is littered with ornaments. Yeah. 
I'm sure there's pieces that aren't slow, lyrical, characteristic uh, Irish pieces that can take you on a journey. And your book covers many of the ornaments. Yeah. Is it possible to explain briefly a couple of these? Yeah, of course. Right, two that interested me is a debounce. Okay, so just a, a bounce in general is, let's say I'm going from... Going from a B to an A, um, I'm just going to bounce the finger on that A. So just it's the gonna, ones. If I do it slowly, it's... And people find sometimes it's hard to get it when you're holding the flute, but if you ask someone to bounce their finger on the table, it's easier to, to think of it. Yeah. quick enough that it's just you can't really hear what the note is it's more like a rhythmic thing would it go ahead of the beat it's kind of on the beat you okay. land on the a on the beat so really and now it's the d the bounce for the d is coming up to the d uh, middle d if you take the third finger of the left hand off yep and then you bounce it on Crans. Well, a crayon um, came about because one of the most common ornaments is a roll, and a, a roll is um, it's a bit like a um, a mordant in, in classical playing, but it, it's um, instead of instead of that where you can hear all the notes, it's a lyrical melody. It's a rhythmic ornament, so you get. Cutting it, the note with the note above and a note below, and they can be any note depending on how you want that to sound. But you don't want to hear what those notes are you're cutting it with. You just want to hear that. So on a G, you just really want to hear the G, and you want to hear those little like blips, little clicks. So I'm doing. You can't hear that it's an F natural in there. So I'd play something in G major. So the cran is where you can't do a cut below because you're at the bottom of the instrument. Like on pipes, the D is the lowest note, but you still want to do some kind of ornament mm -hmm. on there. You can't cut below, so you cut above twice. You're using your F and your E key there. Yeah, so the F and the E key, so the, the E comes up first. like two and then one comes yep. up you'll also notice for middle D I've got my left hand first finger down yes because it makes it sound more more kind of airy and breathy yep. it's a little Mexican wave for the fingers and that's one of the other things is that 
the silver flute's been designed so that all the notes sound the same, right? Yes. Which is great if you want to play in any key and for it all to sound the same. But one of the nice things about wooden flute is that the notes don't all sound the same and then they all have their own character because the holes are all different sizes. So, like, if you're playing a D, it's a really big sound. If you're playing an E, that little hole at the bottom, that's a tiny little hole, so the E sounds really weak. And when you play a C natural, it sounds kind of weak. I mean, we have it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Silver flute, there's some notes which are not quite as strong as the other ones. So we want to do the same thing on the silver flute. Said, you almost have to go against what your teachers have told you all the years, don't you? Is really to be yeah. really flexible with the, certainly the right hand. Your right hand is really game for it. Yeah, I've really like I flatten out the fingers of the right hand. Originally, I started always moving back to the correct hand position for playing yeah. everything else. So I just switch between the two and sort of happy doing both. But as the years have gone by, I've discovered that actually. I'm happy playing everything with flat fingers. You know, I'm not playing with orchestras anymore, but I still practice classical stuff because it's the best thing for working on technique. Would you have to do that if you just uh, concentrated on the traditional Irish flute? Would you still have to do that scalic and uh, arpeggio-type practice? Or do you think because you are bringing the silver flute to it, you feel as though you have to be? Yeah, I think it's probably partly the silver flute thing. I mean, with the wooden flute, I'd still use long notes and I'd still use some kind of warm-up things and maybe that's just playing slow tunes playing slow airs but I do less of a warm-up now than I used to and I probably do less practice now than I used to but I try to make everything really uh, purposeful mm-hmm. so I never really did the the fabled eight hours a day uh, I'm more of a kind of if it can't be done in 15 minutes, sure. you're probably spending too much time on it. Yeah. Um, chunker. Yeah, I think, you know, really just distilling it down to the real essential stuff you need to, to work on. But then, you know, I spend a lot of time learning pieces mm-hmm. or um, uh, rehearsals and all those kind of things. So I'm still, I've always played a lot. Um, but I tried to kind of keep those exercises to like, real focus on stuff and having said that I've definitely spent hours on tone <laughs> well yeah but you have a beautiful you have a beautiful classical ta- uh, sound and when you take that away do you, how is it hard to take it away when you've spent so many hours doing sonorities yeah and then you've got to pair it back to the bass sounds and airy sounds because it's actually very hard to get an airy sound isn't it yeah well I think Quite early on, Liz was getting me to do the like the those harmonic practice and Claire Southworth's books. Sound of Colours, well. Yeah, the, the, the sort of early early flute aerobics. Yes. All those kind of things. I mean, going from that real airy sound into the really rich sound and back out again. All of that stuff, like pairing it back to that breathy sound, 
it's all there in the practice that we're supposed to do but you often don't use it in performance no. you know but it is it is stuff and it, you know really interesting the um, podcast you did with Rod Seed yes about his stuff like working on that stuff at the edges of the sound and that's really like for me especially like playing flamenco I feel like all of those things like the Irish the flamenco the jazz you're really playing with the edges of the sound a lot more than that kind of centered kind of middle of it and partly it's I think it's because if you're playing in a big concert hall um, with an orchestra and with a piano you have to sacrifice a bit of those a bit of the subtleties because you need the projection yeah but the flute I play isn't a big loud American flute that could fill a concert hall it's quite a restrained volume but it's got a huge kind of range of colour in there so that I've got but I'm almost always playing into a microphone well in your book you cover feathering cuts rolls crowns trill keys triplets bounces hard D the slide advanced ornament you, you cover a lot mm. in a small and a very easily understood book and I would Im- it's the first one I've seen that I actually understand yeah <laughs> <laughs> where can people find this uh, well it's on my website which is just philippbarnes.com you can also find me on Instagram, it's just Philip Barnes. They have it in London, they've got it at Just Flutes and All Flutes Plus. Sure. And if you're in America, Fleet World, have some copies. And if any of them sell out, I'll get them some more. Now, let's talk about your CD. Tell me about this and what made you choose these, these songs? So, over the years I've played with loads of different people. I toured for a couple of years with the David Munley Band in America mostly playing guitar yes I <laughs> noticed that in your, in your studio in the other room it's uh... um, you know another another diversion and this I've been playing with Tom since we were both 15 probably like we were both at the same music service that he, he learnt clarinet Tom's and a pianist by the way he's a piano player yeah we were um, we, we were in orchestras together and stuff and we started doing jazz gigs in the bars in Brighton um, sort of 16 and he was a very accomplished jazz piano player already and I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> um, so I was just playing the tunes in the in the real book and then kind of messing around not really knowing uh, whether or what thing was right or wrong uh, over the years we've done loads of stuff together loads of different projects but some of my favourite albums are the ones I've done just flute and piano with him we made one called the Madrid Sessions mm-hmm. just flute and piano it's all contemporary Irish music stuff we've written we've written ourselves has nothing to do with Madrid except I wanted to go somewhere hot to make an album (laughs) and it was cheaper to get a studio with a grand piano in Madrid than it was to go somewhere in London you know at the time when when the the pound was strong against the euro this album was just supposed to be like a placeholder before we we did something else we went to real world down in uh, West Country for a couple of days just put some ideas down and then it sounded great just flute and piano, but I kind of wanted to add some more stuff to it. So I got some double bass on there, some, um, there's a little bit of drums and some of it, some bar on and some of it. And there's actually, there's videos of some of these on YouTube. Yes, there are, yeah. Um, I've been really bad at getting stuff on YouTube because, you know, when you've been doing stuff for a while, it's like a lot of the stuff I did isn't, there isn't videos of it. So it's almost like it never happened. <laughs> Also, you're, you're busy playing <laughs> rather than yeah. promoting this. And what's interesting about this, apart from the music, which is absolutely gorgeous, is you don't have a name for the album. 
No. <laughs> it's called Philippe Barnes and Tom Fielder. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible at thinking of names for stuff. You know, it's, it is what it says it is. <laughs> right, um, choose a piece, because I'd like us to listen to, my, the audience to listen to a piece. I'm holding piece. the CD in front of him. Um, well, that's hard, because some of it's silver flute and some of it's wooden flute. Some of it's whistle with some alto on there. Um, Just choose a piece. Okay, let's say Trip to Ponte V is number three. It's a wooden flute and piano, um, and it's written for the uh, town where my grandfather was born in Brittany. that was a fab piece of music and a wonderful time in, in our break actually whilst we were listening to that we had croissants and more coffee it sounds like you you have the same issue as I have with caffeine oh yeah yeah well um, I've got that coffee machine in here but what you haven't seen is that I also have one by the bed so in the morning no, I can no, just no, roll no. over pop the little capsule in get a little espresso are you serious start the day. someone gave me one for Christmas and I was like I've already got one what am I going to do with a second coffee machine? It's like, well... That takes addiction, addiction to a different level. Oh, I just... Have you got to stay so we don't get the buzz with caffeine anymore? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you if something was caffeine or decaf. <laughs> so, to celebrate the fact that we've both got French names, we have the croissant. 
<laughs> right, before I disappear, back to Leafy Tunbridge Wells. What piece of flute playing advice would you give to somebody who really wants to learn about Irish flute playing and yet can't, like you, immerse themselves in the country of Ireland, the wonderful country of Ireland? Uh, well, there's so much music to listen to online. Like, um, if you go to Spotify or start Matt Malloy Radio and it'll just play you stuff similar to that. Go to a local session. You know, there'll, there'll, be, um, there'll definitely be something near wherever you are um, in the world. There's a great website called the Online Academy of Irish Music. Oh, wow. Which is O-A-I-M dot I-E. And it's created by the people from Limerick University where I did my master's. And they have beginners, intermediate and advanced flute lessons Irish flute lessons and they'll teach you a tune slowly or have a Skype lesson with me oh you do Skype yeah do, um, do quite a bit of Skype right how do people get in touch with you to arrange this uh, just philippebarnes.com is my website it needs a little bit of updating but they can email you direct that. they can email me direct on that yeah find me on Instagram so philippebarnes.com everybody Thank you once again for the croissant and the copious amounts of lovely coffee. <laughs> thank, for you, thank you to your lovely wife for hiding away somewhere. <laughs> and uh, thank you again. And we look forward to, I'm sure, any questions, either email them up to me at flutepodcast.com or to Philippe directly on his website. And oh, yeah, always happy to answer. I'm sure there'll be another one. What are we going to play out with this week, Philippe? Give me, a, give me a song to play out with from your album, Philippe Barnes and Tom Feeling again. Uh, well, we had a slow one, so maybe let's go with uh, a quick one. Uh, it's Whistle and Alto Flute, track one, Castle Brook, um, Eric's Jig and Joan Brodie's, and that's um, written for my grandfather and grandmother. Thank you, Philippe, and best wishes to all. Thanks, JP.
Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.